Last week we had the parable of the talents and the message was all about how the parable of the talents isn't necessarily about physical talents, although we could apply it in that way. The parable of the talents is primarily about the enormous value of what Christ has invested into us, his disciples. The cross, salvation, forgiveness, love, Holy Spirit, eternal life, life itself. That's, that's the enormous valuable stuff that God has invested into us and it cost him dearly. It cost him his life. Our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into heaven and one day he's going to come back again. And on that day, when we meet him face to face, he's going to have a question for us. What have you done with the investment that I've put into you? What have you done with your faith? Faith begets faith. When you use your faith, it grows. Remember we are saying faith is like a muscle? Use muscles and muscles get stronger. Don't use them and they just atrophy away and, and, and just disappear. And um, when you share your faith, when you use your faith, your faith gets stronger. And when you share your faith with those who don't know Christ, this is developing faith in other people as well. And this is carrying on God's work of kingdom building. Right? So you remember that message from last week? That's, that's what we had last week. Now, maybe after last week, if you're a little bit like me, then you might have gone home thinking, well, that's all very good and nice, Michael. Uh, I know that I can't just bury my faith. I know I've got to be using it. I feel encouraged by God or maybe I feel chastened by God because I have been bearing my faith too much. I feel I do need to be doing something but I just don't know how to go about it. Where do I make a start? We do not want to be one of those who when Jesus returns he says to us, you wicked and slothful servant. You are too tentative. You are too scared. You are too ashamed. I left you with this gift of the gospel and you did nothing with it. We, we don't want to be that person, do we? Is there, does anybody want to be that person? No. I know I don't want to be. And, and we do want to be the one who when he returns, he says, well done, good and faithful slave. You've, you've been faithful. We do want to be that slave who wants to get commended. I'm pretty sure all of us want to be that slave, don't we? Yeah? I know I do. I hope all of us want to be the faithful slave, but we just don't know how to begin to be that slave. Sharing faith, acting in faith, living by faith, building the kingdom of God. Most of us find it very easy. In fact, it comes naturally, not just to most people, but it comes very naturally to me to be the wicked, lazy servant. That's the way I naturally am. Uh, it's very easy to just bury our faith and just keep it as a personal thing that, that doesn't interfere with anything that we do out in the world or we never put it out there for people to see. It's very easy to be like that. It's not so easy to start putting your faith to work. Now, sometimes God does something and you just know it's God that's done it. And a lot of you have shared stories with me about things that, you know, that the world might call coincidences, but you know that it's been something that God's been doing, and, and so it's what we call a God incidence, not a coincidence, it's a God incidence. You pray about something, and then a day or two later something happens, and, 
and you just know that God is answering your prayer or that God was getting your attention to show you something. Um, And most of us have experienced something like that. A few weeks ago, uh, most of you probably know, I was actually feeling pretty down. And I was really wondering, well, God, what do you want us to be doing? Things aren't going as we thought that they were going to go with, with building a home. And, and I was sort of thinking, well, God, why have you done this? Why have you led us to, to sell our house? And, and, and we thought we were going to be building a house, but now that's not happening. And you know, what do you want us to do? And I began to question, God, do you even want us to stay in St George? I mean, I, I'm willing to be obedient to whatever God shows us to do. Now, we, we felt that it's going to be long term in St George. But we're also always going to be obedient. If God says your time here is finished, well, we just have to be obedient to that and and move on. And so we just needed to know. And I was asking, well, God, what about Bush Disciples? Uh, You know, I really believe God was here in its beginnings and, you know, led us to, to begin Bush Disciples and... But God, do you want it to continue? Does, does the Christian church need bush disciples? Um, I mean, it's jolly hard work and um, sort of working a couple of days a week and church finances were pretty low. Um, and we're thinking, well, God, do you want us to continue doing this? I really felt that we were at a crossroads. And I wanted to make sure that me personally, us as a family... And we as a church weren't just doing our own thing, but that we were following the will and the purpose of God. Um, and I visited a few of you and asked you to pray about it. And over the next couple of weeks, you know, you know if you ever pray about something, what you have to do is you open your eyes to see what you see and you open your ears to see what you're hearing and as you study God's word, you, you make sure that you're looking for answers to that prayer that you've prayed. Well, over the next few weeks, I really saw God at work in people's lives. I heard stories of transformations that were taking place in people as they grew in God. You know, if you ever want to encourage somebody in ministry, um, you don't just say, oh, that was a very nice sermon, Pastor. Uh, if you want to ever encourage someone in ministry, you tell them what God's been doing in your life. You tell them the way that God's been touching them and challenging them and moving, moving you in, in, um, and, and, and building in you a deeper faith and a deeper love for God and for others. And people started telling me that and were telling me how God was really touching them through what was happening here, not just through what I'm doing, but through meeting here together as a church and in, the, and in other places as well. And... Um, and I could see all of this as answers to God's prayer. Yeah, it's important. Keep on going. And um, for the first time since November, I, my pay is up to date. I mean, like we, we've actually, God's been good. People have been generous. Um, and all these were answers to prayer and, and was saying, well, keep on going. Keep on going. But that's not the end of it. Because I, I, I felt that we're at a crossroads. Well, we're at this crossroads, but God, what, what is it that you're wanting to show us? A couple of weeks out of the blue, a couple of weeks ago out of the blue, I got a visit from a couple by the name of Ron and Paula Turner. And they have a ministry they call Outback Connections. And their passion is for planting churches. 
which is essentially what we've done here. We, we've, we've started, planted a church here in St George, in Dirranbandi, in Begonia, in Westmar. Ron is actually an ordained Baptist pastor, but the work that they do is very much non-denominational. Anyway, they found themselves in St George and, and they saw one of the Bush disciples flies in the caravan park they were in and they rang me and asked if they could come around for a yarn. And Robin was on holidays, so Robin and I both met with them. And I've got to tell you, I just really enjoyed the time that we spent with these guys. Um, they, they, their heart for the Lord is just incredible. And their heart for mission is amazing. And um, the dedication that they have to what they do, it, it's a real challenge to me personally. And so we really enjoyed our time with them and they were a great encouragement to us. Anyway, they told me a bit about what they do and how they go about encouraging Christians into mission right where they are. are. And a fair bit of what they do is they travel out bush. So they went from St George, they went on to Bolan and then on to Kunnamulla and they actually live in, I think, Blackwater, somewhere around there anyway is where they live. But they on this trip and they're going right up north and then back down to, to Blackwater again. And what they do is when they come into a town, they just pray, Lord, who are you going to lead us to? And they either look for people who aren't Christians or who are Christians. It's, whatever it is, is up to the Lord. And they make contacts with people and then they just encourage them in ways that they can be sharing their faith and building a tiny little church community right where they are, even in tiny towns where there are no churches, but they find an odd Christian. Or um, by sharing their faith, somebody puts their faith in crisis, well, what, what do we do now? And so they share this stuff with them. So anyway, this was all very lovely, but then they left town the next day, headed off to Bolan, then on to Kunnamulla. And last week, as I began reading for my sermon on on um, the parable of the talents, when I realised that a fair bit of it was going to be about burying your faith and about working with your faith to increase your faith and to promote the growth of faith in others, I really felt that I should be sharing some of what Ron had shared with me in, in his visit about the way that they go about developing disciples. And I couldn't remember it. I couldn't remember, like I knew there was four or five or six steps, I couldn't remember what they were. And I found myself thinking, yeah, I should ring, should ring old mate and, and, um, and ask him what those steps were so that I could share it with you. And um, even as I was thinking that, I knew deep down that I wasn't going to bother. Have you ever done that? Yeah, you know, where you sort of think God's prompting you to do something and go, yeah, I should do that. But even as you say, yeah, I should do that, you know that you're not going to bother. Am I the only one who ever does that? I am the only one who ever does that. Justin's nodding. Oh, darn. You've got a really bad pastor, guys. Um, Anyway, um, so I was thinking, yeah, well, I should ring him and ask him about this stuff that he uses to encourage us lazy Christians out on mission. Now, that's my phrase, not his, by the way. Um, And I use it to describe myself. But I decided I knew I wasn't going to do it. Well, guess what? Twenty minutes later, after I'd had this thought, this comes into my inbox on email. Hi, Michael. 
Hope you had a great time on Sunday. Paula and I are really excited by your vision for Bush Disciples. Thought I would send through a copy of our strategy for making disciples that we use for your interest. Now, to me, some people might say, yeah, coincidence, yeah. You know what I'm thinking, hey. I'm thinking this is God saying, in spite of your incredible laziness and slackness, Michael, I'm going to make sure that the people in St George get to hear this because it's important for them. And it's important for you, Michael, to hear and to think about and to start putting into action yourself. So, to me, it doesn't matter how challenging it is. Now, by the way, what, what he shares, to me, is nothing new. And most probably to you, it'll be nothing new. But you know what it is? It is an enormous challenge. To me, I look at this stuff and go, yeah, of course we should be doing that. But guess what? I'm not. And I should be. So to me, it doesn't matter how challenging this is, because of this God incident that has happened, I know that this is God saying, this is important. Um, You guys, me included, we really need to look at this, take it in and engage in it. So this is a strategy they use for making disciples and that's all I'm going to be sharing with you today. And I believe if we start doing this sort of stuff, the kingdom of God cannot help but to grow. The challenge is, though, it ain't going to happen if we keep our faith buried. This sort of stuff requires an investment of faith for kingdom returns. So, here's their strategy. Um, and I'm going to hand out this sheet, which is, this is what he sent through to me. Um, should be enough for one for each, I think. So it all begins with prayer. There's nothing surprising there, is it? Does anybody think we shouldn't be praying for the kingdom of God to be growing? Hey, no surprises there. Uh, But guess what? We're probably not doing it. Or sporadic in what we do. The reason we pray is not just to give God a shopping list for him to fulfil. If that's our view of prayer, then then we've missed the whole point. That The Lord our God is a God of relationship. He's our Heavenly Father and he wants us to live a life of prayer. A life of communion. A life of communicating with God. Imagine, like, dads. Imagine that your kids only ever wanted to talk to you when they came to say, Oh, listen, Dad, I'm, I'm hungry and I want to have an apple. And, oh, Dad, give us, borrow, when they get a bit older, can I borrow the car keys, Dad? And, or can I take such and such? Or I want such and such. Imagine if that's the only way they communicated with you. It's not a good relationship, is it, John? Sounds like Stephen to you. <laughs> well, and guess what? God wants us to talk with him and share with him, not just to present him with a big shopping list. When we pray, this is an opportunity for our hearts to align with God's heart. It is God's desire that all people should be saved. And so when we commune with God and in our prayer life we begin to allow 
God's desire to become our desire, we start praying for the sorts of things that God deeply cares about. And so the action for us is this. He says, pray in teams. Now, the reason that we pray in teams, and and by the way, a team could be husband and wife, could be father and children, it could be a Bible study group, it can be our church here. If you have a look around you here, um, I bet there's somebody who you could meet up with regularly to pray with. Or if you just get together for a cup of coffee, take that opportunity to spend some time in prayer with that person. You see, the reason for this is a shared prayer is a powerful prayer. Matthew chapter 18, 18 says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Right? There's the importance of, of getting together with another person. Now, for some of us, actually beginning to pray with another person would be a big step. Right? For some of you, that might freak you out to think, oh, actually praying with another person. But guess what? Remember we talked about how when we use our faith it grows? Maybe this is the first step to start praying with another person. And when you start doing that, by the way, it's not as, not as tough as, it, it, it's not as hard as what it might look. Um, I'm sure there'll be somebody here that's not too scary that you could meet with and pray with. And that could be your first step of faith that then increases your faith to the next thing. He says, fast and pray for individual people and the community. Don't just generalise when you pray. Get specific. You see, a generalised prayer is hard to see the answers. Whereas when you pray for something specific, you'll know when God has answered it. And um, when you pray for a specific person, that gives that, that's, you can definitely see when God starts touching them. But it's also an encouragement for you to also put your efforts into sharing with that person. If God has put a certain person on your heart, then pray for them. Pray that God would open their eyes to his mercy. Pray that God would give you opportunities to be able to share with them. Ask for discernment for God's heart and for his compassion to give you eyes to see what he does. Ask for power to set people free from the past and pray persistently and sacrificially. Uh, you know what that means? It means pray a lot, uh, even if you have to put yourself out to make time to do that pray. And then we transition to the next step. While continuing to pray, we begin connecting with people. And so the second step is share. Okay, there's, there's nothing new there, is there? We know that for the gospel to to go out into the world, we need to share. Yep. Go and meet with people and talk with them. You know what? The lost are not going to meet Christ if Christians do not meet the lost. I'll say that again. The lost 
will not meet Christ if Christians are not meeting the lost. I know it's tempting to cut yourself off from the sinful world, but that's not what Jesus did. And um, this becomes more and more challenging the longer you've been a Christian. Did you know that the very best evangelists are brand new Christians? And you know why that is? They're excited, yes. There's another reason. They haven't ever been rejected before, yep. There's another reason. First love, yep. There's another reason. No fear, there's another reason. All their friends are non-Christians. Hey? Now you think about, you know, oh, I think about myself. The longer I've been a Christian, the fewer non-Christian friends I have. I mean, I have acquaintances, but not good friends. And the reason for that is, well, when you start being part of a Christian family, well, you naturally want to share with your Christian family. But we've got to be careful that that doesn't overtake our contact with out in the world. And for me personally, that's why we've always been um, keen on getting involved in community stuff like PNC and that sort of thing. It's a really good opportunity to be able to share with non-Christians. Um, trim roads has been good for me, Alex. Because uh, you know, there's times when you're on the side of the road and, and they don't need the water truck for a little while and just take a little two-way with you and, and I can go and stand next to the stop-go man and start talking to him. No, he can't, he's stuck there. He's stuck there. Yep. And, and uh, I know I said to one fellow on the road, one day I was on the two-way, there was only two of us left there, this was Kim, and, and he says... Right, well, is there anything I need to know? Because he'd been away filling up and I was, I was about to knock off and he was going to be the only one on the site backwatering. Anything I need to know, Michael? I said, yep, you need to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, a lot of good that'll do for road building, won't it? <laughs> so it doesn't always come off so good. But um, we need to get alongside people and develop relationships. Observe what people's needs are and then seek to meet those needs. We're pretty good at that in our own community here. Um, But what about wider? If you know someone's crook, take them a meal. Or, Or better still, go and clean their house for them or mow their lawn for them. If you know a single mother isn't coping, then offer to take the kids for an afternoon. Or if you know that kids of a single mum don't have a dad well maybe dads you might offer to take the kids for a weekend take them camping with your kids or whatever everybody has needs and as servants of Christ we serve those needs he says do what is easily multiplied Um, I think what he's looking at is don't do something that's going to be a one off thing that's going to leave you totally zonked and never be able to carry it on but also if we do something that's easily multiplied it's something that if John does something and I see him do something for somebody I go yeah well I could do that that's not that hard I I could do that for somebody else you know we can sort of be an encouragement to one another and um, that's why he suggests we do what's easily multiplied Spend your time meeting people who do not know Jesus 
Set some goals to build relationship with people that are mutual. Sow seeds of truth generously in people's hearts by praying with them, expecting God to answer and reveal himself powerfully. Now, you have friends who need prayer. Everybody needs prayer for something that's going on in their life. And you might normally go home and pray for them in private where they can't hear. But do you know how much of a witness it is to Christ and how much of a witness of Christ it is to them? If you're actually with them and say, can I pray for you? And usually people will say, yeah. Occasionally they'll say, no. But usually they'll say yes. And it doesn't have to be a great fluent prayer with lots of adverbs or whatever in it, with all the flowery language. You just pray the simple prayer that you pray and that to them is a model. Oh, you mean I'm allowed to pray just a simple prayer like that? If somebody's crook, you just say, well, Lord, so-and-so's crook and Lord, you know that it's really getting to them. We just ask that you'd please start to make them better. Um, or if somebody's having family troubles, we'll just ask God to intervene and, and, and ask God to intervene in ways that, that these people will see that God has been at work. Just pray for them right there and then. You see, most people out in the world feel a disconnection with the church and doing this sort of stuff moves us away from an in or out mentality. We as Christians need to get reconnected with those who are lost so we can have opportunities to share our faith with them and so they can see the Christian life modelled. The kingdom of God has always grown best and bears the longest lasting fruit when we Christians are engaged personally with people rather than putting on a whole bunch of programs that we expect people to come and the program is going to do the work of converting them. The third step is to disciple. Start to identify people who are open to having spiritual conversations and calls these people the person of peace. I've never heard that phrase before. But as soon as he said the person of peace when we met that day, instantly I'm pretty sure I knew what he meant. Um, and, 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 like, you know, sometimes you can just tell that a person is open to hearing about Christ. They're open to hearing about what's going on in your life in a spiritual sense. And they're open to discovering what, what's going on in their life in a spiritual sense. Other people, though, are a closed book. And until somebody is in that open stage, then there's nothing we can do about it. It's only God who can soften a hardened heart. Offer to meet with them and explore their questions through the scriptures. Now, if they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, don't try and pretend you do. See, God doesn't expect us to share what we don't know. He doesn't expect us to use faith we don't have. But he does expect us to share what we do know and he does expect us to use faith that we do have. Um, So if you don't know the answers to the questions they ask, you say, well, I don't know. 
Um, I'm actually only new at this myself, but I'll find out and I'll let you know later. And you can come and talk to another Christian, you can come and talk to me. And um, yeah, I mean, probably a good way of starting to disciple people is just inviting them along to a Bible study group. I cannot. I cannot drive home just how important home groups are, Bible study groups where men and women meet and, and share, from, share about what God's been doing in their lives and reading the scriptures and learning from the scriptures and praying together. Um, and this is something that you can even invite non-Christians along to if, you've, if you believe that they might be open to it. And then Ron Liss is... Um, oh, sorry... Share about those things that God has given to you and pass these on to others. Help them to discover the real Jesus and his call to mission. That's something that we Christians need to discover sometimes, is the call to mission. And then Ron lists his discovery Bible study method, and you can read that for yourself. But the key to that is God speaks to all of us. Um, I'm not the intermediary between you and God. Jesus Christ is the intermediary between you and God. I'm not the one who gives you understanding of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you understanding of the scriptures. And you can have every confidence that when you read the scriptures and that when you pray, God will be revealing himself to you. Um. Don't feel you have to have it done for you. The fourth step is to gather. Uh, That's what we're doing here. It's what we do at Westmar and Begonia and Durambandi. It's what we do at our Bible study groups. We get together to be an authentic Christ-like community. Eating together, discussing the Bible, praying together. And the goal is to develop transformational communities where the kingdom of God values are lived out in action. He says this, remember, have discipleship as a priority and churches will emerge, but if you focus on developing a church structure, discipleship does not always occur. And that's something I discovered in the early stages of of Bush Disciples. Um, Church I come out of, the people were all there saying, yeah, well, where's your, where's your structure? Where's, where's this, that and the other? Where's your list of your beliefs? Where's your accountability? Where's this, that and the other? And you know what? God didn't care. God just wanted us to get out there and start doing stuff. So we actually don't have a church structure. Uh, we just meet in a little hall in all sorts of places. And we don't have any bosses. We don't have any property. We don't have nothing. But we do have a calling you and I together, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world and, and to grow and develop as disciples of Christ. And the fifth step is to multiply. Uh, let's not set out to build a mega church. Let's keep on multiplying. I, when I was at Bible college, I used to hear of, of these fellows, that, pastors of churches of 10,000 and that sort of thing. I knew God wasn't calling to me to be a pastor of 10,000 when he sent me to a town with only 2,500 people. Um, I thought, well, the biggest we'll ever get is 2,500. I'm still waiting for that. 
but I don't think we want to be a mega church, do we? So he's saying, sorry, it'll be okay. <laughs> it's, the problem with mega churches is, sorry, you're not going to say no? problem with mega churches is um, we all end up becoming people who have church done to us. Instead of being a community of disciples engaged personally in mission out in the world. Um, I'm not saying that that can't happen in a mega church, but gee, it's a whole lot harder. And so his plan is um, to do the amoeba thing. If the church starts growing and gets to a certain stage where it's big enough, you sort of do the amoeba thing. You sort of divide off and, and, and maybe start another church off somewhere else. Now, I don't think we need to worry about that just yet. We've already got four little churches and a few Bible studies going because we began with multiplication. Um, we had pretty big ambitions when we started um, all over the place. So, that's it in a nutshell. What do you reckon? Is that a pretty good plan for putting your faith into action? Yeah? Praying for individuals. Praying for our community. Praying in teams. Sharing. Meeting people and sharing Christ with them. Discipling. Identifying people who are open to spiritual conversations and having them. Gathering. Inviting them to church. Inviting them to Bible study. Multiplying. As a group gets too big, do the amoeba thing, divide and grow again. Friends, mission is at the heart of the very purpose of the Christian church. As soon as the church loses mission as one of its core purposes, the church has lost its plot. When we consider discipleship, Mission is a key part of discipleship. Something that's concerned me for my whole ministry career, and I say that for want of a better word, is this. I believe my gift, my spiritual gift, is teaching. I believe God has given me a gift of teaching, and so I do that most Sundays. I teach. I teach what the Bible says. Um, I try and focus on discipleship. What, what is God teaching us about discipleship? Now that's all very good and nice, but to what end? To what end? See, when you go to school, you might get taught a whole heap of maths and stuff. When I was at the Ag College... Um, one of the subjects I taught was um, rural calculations. Now, I wasn't to teach them anything new. I was just there to show them how to apply what they've already learnt into a rural situation. And for a lot of people, it was all of a sudden, for the very first time, oh, I was wondering why we're learning about ratios at school. Now I know that I can use it for mixing chainsaw fuel. You know, stuff that just seemed totally irrelevant to them in the past, all of a sudden it had a purpose. If I simply teach and you simply learn, then all that's going to happen is we'll evolve into a group of very knowledgeable people. 
The Lord our God demands that we go beyond knowledge to action. The purpose of learning is so that we can know God better. And my hope and my prayer is that day by day, week by week, you are growing deeper and deeper in love with God and I am growing deeper and deeper in love with God. And my prayer also is that out of this love for God will spring forth an insatiable desire to share that with others. The longer you've been a Christian, the easier it is to bury your faith. If you're anything like me, then you've probably started burying your faith a long time ago. Maybe the hole was there and it's just there and a little bit of dust blows over it each time the wind blows. It's not too late. My prayer is that each one of us, you and I together, will work with the faith that God has given us, investing faith for God's glory and for the building of his kingdom. Now, I've given you that sheet of paper. Um, I'd ask you, because of the circumstances that God sort of made sure I actually got that info, I'd ask that you really take it home and you really pray about it and start considering how can I start putting this sort of stuff into action? And if the first point for you is finding a prayer partner, maybe even over Smoko today, you might ask someone, hey, how would you feel if we met on such and such a day to, to pray? And pray in the sorts of ways that, that are suggested there. Any questions? Does anyone think that it's going to be a challenge to put that into practice or is it going to be easy? Put up your hand if you think it's going to be easy. Yes. Yes. Okay. It can be easy if we allow it to be. And do you know what makes it easier? Is the fact that God does it through us. Hey, we don't do it in our own strength. We might take that little push to have the confidence to go, well, I'm going to give it a go. Guess what? When you're giving it a go, God's giving it a go right there with you. 